for the topic for today, uh, which is the culmination of the series on relationships in the local church, uh, deals with one another. And in a way, it's a synthesis of what has gone on before, as I, I hope will become evident as we work our way through, through our time this afternoon. Uh, but to begin, there's a person by the name of Wayne Mack. Some of you may recognize that name. Uh, I know our pastor does, and a number of others would. But he, um, he had an article where he was describing reasons for church membership. And what caught my eye was the fact that the, the very first item that he identified as a reason for church membership was the one anothering commands of Scripture. There are eight other points that he brings to bear on why church membership is such an integral reality in the local church, uh, biblical responsibility to elders, clarifying the differences between believers and unbelievers, orderly administration of the church, public statement to the world that we're a distinct entity, uh, ministry responsibilities, ministry privileges, accountability, helps the church know who to prioritize for service, all of those, of course, are reasons for church membership. And not every church focuses on membership, but it's integral to an effective church to look at membership. But I thought it was helpful that the very first thing that he identified, and I'm not saying that he prioritized this above all the other points, but the very first one he listed was the one another's and their commands in the scripture. Then he had an article that uh, I thought was very helpful, and I'll identify in a moment some of the, the key points that he makes. But just to quote Wayne Mack on the subject of one another's, many of our responsibilities to believers are spelled out in terms of the one another commands found throughout Scripture. There are 58 one another commands in the Word of God and realistically understood it's impossible to understand how these commands may be truly fulfilled toward other believers without involvement in a local church. In all of Paul's one anothering passages, he was instructing the members of a specific local church to act in these ways toward one another. I thought that was a really helpful synopsis of why one anothering is such an integral part, an indispensable part of a local church. I highlighted below that a number of the words that he used that I thought were important to emphasize, and we'll, we'll touch uh, throughout our time this afternoon on these different dimensions, but responsibilities. These are not suggestions, they're, they're, they're directives, they're imperatives, they're responsibilities, they're commands. Secondly, and this is very important, the subject of the recipients of one anothering are other believers. It involves engagement in the church, involvement in a local church. It's not something that's peripheral. It's not something that is exercised in a, in a tangential way. It's, it's related to intentional involvement in the local church. And a word that I've already, an expression I've already used in a number of ways, local church. That's where one anothering takes place. It, it occurs in the local church, and we'll explore that in a moment. And members. So all of these are aspects that he identified in this one paragraph. Responsibilities to believers, involvement, local church, and members. 
There's an article by a fellow named David Schrock that makes uh, a number of interesting, helpful uh, observations about what it means to one another in the local church. And he makes the observation that there are about a hundred places where this Greek expression occurs, and it's either each other or one another throughout the scripture. And then on page two, he cites John 13, 34, and 35, and that's the passage where the disciples are told, by this all men will know that, that you're mine, that the world will be, it will be evident to the world uh, that you're mine because you love one another. It is the indispensable mark of the believer. Matter of fact, Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote a book many years ago, The Mark of the Christian, and he highlighted this particular passage, John 13, 34, and 35. And love is really the integral motive, uh, love for God and love for our brothers and sisters that are joined with us in a local church is really the driving motive behind what takes place. But there's a number of ways that the, the local church is described uh, in Scripture, metaphors that the, the Bible uses, um, and, and you can see what those are. But these are uh, imperatives. Uh, they're directed to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, and I hope you'll notice, as, even as I prayed at the beginning, uh, we're already doing these things. So uh, the, the spirit in which I'm uh, sharing this with you is, is strictly in the excel still more mode. Uh, just in, I want to encourage you because it, it, as an elder, I see countless opportunities or instances, I should say, where these things are already happening. And so we just want to keep doing what we're doing. But the scripture talks about the fact that that those who really had nothing in common with each other, uh, Jews and Gentiles, were very different segments of the population or joined together in the church. And so all of those differences became obliterated in, well, they're still Jews, they're still Gentiles, but they, those dividing lines, those points of difference became obliterated in the joining together. And that's really the, the essential element here, joining together in the body of Christ. And so that's where we begin, is realizing, as, as, this, as this article goes on, Romans 12, verse 5, though... We, though many, are one body in Christ, and so we, we recognize that there is uh, diversity, uh, not in the politically correct sense, but uh, all sorts of different people, all sorts of different interests, all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, but they're, we're not the same, uh, very different, and that's a wonderful thing, and the, the, the Lord has equipped each of us to serve, to participate with different gifts. Uh, and, and that's by design. So we, we complement each other, but we're joined together in one, uh, one body. And that's the context uh, of the local church. What's interesting is that if you were to say, where, where, do, where do we actually practice the one another's? The answer to that is, is really clear, as Wayne Mack uh, pointed out in the article that I, I shared with, or the paragraph I shared with you just a moment ago where he said that the locus or the place, that the site where one anothering takes place is, is not in society at large. Um, that doesn't mean that we aren't gracious with one another outside the, the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that we aren't truthful with each other outside the body of Christ. But if you want to know where we are held accountable to do these things, all the different imperatives, the relational one another's, it's all in the context of a local church. That's where this happens. And it's, it's an integral part of what we do when we're, when we're brought together. Uh, and he makes his point that 
I, even today, when, when uh, I, we stop by a grocery store, I, I greet people, I speak to people, I know some of the folks by name, I, I, I address them by their first name, I treat them with, with respect, and I'm friendly toward them, but that's not one anothering. That's, that's just being gracious, that's just being kind to, to society at large. So the, the nature with which we interact each other is unique, uh, and the community that we enjoy in the local church is something that God has designed. He's brought us all together, and so we're, we're, we're melded together in a way that we can actually do all these one another's uh, with each other. We're sharing lives, and, and that's really the, the second paragraph from the bottom of page two is a very helpful observation, at least it was for me, where, where do we find ourselves sharing our lives? And it occurs within a covenant relationship. Uh, that's what we have in the local church. It's what, it's what we have in a marriage. It's what we have in a family. Um, and those are the most intimate, the most essential, the most important, the most beautiful relationships that we will ever enjoy, uh, bar none, uh, at least on, the, on earth while we're in this body. But that's where we one another, uh, each other, and uh, living in covenant uh, with each other. So top of page three, he goes on to make an interesting point that we learn to love, forgive, forbear, bear up. And and the point that I would make here is that one anothering is an exercise in maturing in relationships. We don't instantly do these things. It requires, number one, that we get to know each other. Uh, for us to uh, interact with each other, to uh, forgive each other, uh, to uh, pray for one another, uh, to do all of these other things that we do. Uh, it involve, Number one, we have to know each other. It has to be intentional. Uh, it has to be life uh, together. Um, and it, it's, it's a, a process where we grow, uh, where we mature in these things. So we should view this as one of those things where it's not one and done, that we we're just constantly learning. We're, we're growing uh, in our way of, of uh, serving uh, each other. Um, under members one of another, um, an important thing that, uh, that I would bring out that, that this particular author also pointed out is that in some cases, uh, you'll, you'll find people that focus uh, entirely on their relationship with the Lord. That's, and and that's, that's the most important relationship that we'll ever have. Um, but the one and others are horizontal in nature, not vertical in nature. Uh, so these are, at the, at the human plane, these are interpersonal. And the point that the scripture is making throughout this is that a corollary of us having a vital, growing, personal relationship with our God is that we will have a vital, growing in, uh, relationship with his children. And, and, that, and the site, the locus of where this takes place, the laboratory where all of this takes place is right here. It's in the local church. And it's within the context of members because we're accountable to each other uh, to do these things. Matter of fact, at the end of the notes, I won't be going through this in any detail, but I've reproduced for you our membership agreement, which is a form of covenant that we have with each other. And I've highlighted for you at least what I thought were the, the, many of the one another aspects, the interpersonal aspects of our agreement with each other. And I think you'll notice, if you peruse that at some point later today or throughout this week, that when we abide by our membership agreement, we're really covenanting with each other along the lines of, of these one another uh, imperatives, these commands, these responsibilities that, that we have. Um, 
Tim Challies, uh, bottom of page three. Um, some of you may know that name. He's, he's um, uh, a person who's written over the years a number of very helpful uh, articles uh, about, uh, about the scriptures. I'm going to go through this, but he has a, um, uh, an excerpt from Robinson Crusoe, uh, and it, it, it's just describing the, the despair, uh, the, the difficulty, the sense of isolation that Robinson Crusoe had when he was stranded, and the point that, that he makes that, uh, that, um, that Tim Challies is making uh, over on page four of your notes is that the pain that was being experienced by Robinson Crusoe was because of his isolation. Um, the most difficult experiences in life are typically when we feel isolated, when we feel lonely, when we feel distant from others. That really shouldn't be happening in the context of a local church. If, if I, I came across one comment by a secular author, and he said, we're living in dystopia, a world that is dominated by technology and, dis and disconnect, alienation, uh, loneliness, uh, and um, isolation. And that, I think that actually describes our culture, uh, even today. I'm just noticing when we made this little stop at the store, all the people sitting looking completely glued to their phones. And, and you, sometimes you'll be in a restaurant and you'll see people, two people sitting there and they're both on their phones. And they're in their own bubble, they're in their own world. Um, we do live in, in a culture, a dystopia. It's, it's a fragmented world. And there's many people on social media that, that seem to think that their friends that they have on social media are really friends. Some of them may be, but if your friend, just because they've acknowledged your invitation to be a friend, doesn't mean that they care about you. It doesn't mean that they pray for you. It doesn't mean that they love you. It doesn't mean that they'll suffer with you, that they will walk with you, that they will be on your right-hand side when you need them there. It just means that they've acknowledged your invitation. But we live in a world where friendship has been grossly devalued. And, and there's great loneliness, uh, there is fragmentation, uh, there is a sense of alienation, and you look even at the lack of civility in our culture and the ways in which uh, people interact with each other. This should be an oasis. The local church is, is an oasis. If, if, if anybody can find a place of interpersonal refuge, it's got to be in the local church. This, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where friendships develop. This is where care is exercised. Uh, this is where concern is manifested. And, and brothers and sisters, I can tell you without hesitation, I see countless ongoing instances of this. And I simply say, please, by God's grace, just keep on keeping on. Uh, excel still more. I, I see people reaching out to each other, uh, meeting each other's material needs. Um, even this, this week, I had an instance where I, I called upon uh, one of the men here in the church. I said, can you help me move a piece of furniture? And within 40 minutes, he was over with his truck, and, and uh, we got it moved to, to where we needed to be. And without hesitation, it was joy. They were delighted to do it. Not everybody's in a position to do that, but it was a, a quick response. And it was without hesitation. That's the, this local church and every biblical local church is the place in our culture where you should find love, in, in addition to your family, of course, in addition to your marriage. But those are the three covenant relationships that you have, your marriage, your family, and your church. Those are the places where true friendship or true care or true one-anothering takes place. And this is an oasis. I said that before, but it's the place 
where really all of this is designed to happen, where we care for each other. Um, the, the author makes a, an interesting observation that in the creation, if, if, as you read Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that's in them. And in each case, as he separates light and darkness and he creates the firmament, etc. In each case, uh, on the different days of creation, uh, the Lord said, it is good. It is good. And then God created man. And man was alone. And God said, it is not good that he should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. And so he created Eve to be a helpmate. And, and so, that, that, but then we had the creation mandate and, and all of the ways in which uh, they, they were to populate the earth and exercise dominion uh, over uh, the earth. Uh, but it is not good to be alone. And in the most difficult experiences, I, I, I can only think when someone's incarcerated and they're in solitary confinement, that has to be the most difficult experience that someone over a protracted period could ever experience, just the isolation. Uh, the, the, the lack of deprivation of interpersonal contact. So loneliness is something that, that really should not be happening in the local church. If, if you feel lonely, if you, if you feel disengaged, we, we want to help. We, we, this is the place where we want to reach out, where we want to love, where we're committed to spending time. And, and there is this, we, we're all committed to each other in that way. And, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's really an oasis. So the, the second from the last paragraph, um, just the, the point being made about how foundational community is, and that's an expression that we hear often in, in everyday parlance, community. I'm not sure that we always use that term in the richness of the, the sense in which it's communicated, but the community in the local church is designed to be real oneness of heart and soul. Uh, a real joining together of lives, a real walking together uh, in life. And I'm reminded, you may know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor uh, in the 40s uh, who actually had a very uh, promising uh, academic career. He was in New York, um, got his Ph.D. at 21, uh, and then went back to Germany uh, during the time of, of Hitler's uh, reign in Nazi Germany. Uh, aligned himself with the resistance in Germany, paid a great price, ultimately, his life, uh, because he was part of the resistance. Uh, but he wrote a number of books. Um, one of them is The Cost of Discipleship, Letters and Papers from Prison. Then he wrote another book, a Life Together, uh, which talks about what it means to have community uh, in the Christian world. And, um, and, and it's, it's a wonderful book. It's a very thoughtful book. But uh, he makes four points in this. Which it's described as, as a classic explanation of the Christian in community. Number one, that we need both individual and communal spiritual growth. We need to be growing individually, but part of an integral part of growing individually is to grow uh, in community, one with another, togetherness. Secondly, is serving others as a form of ministry. Third is that we should be thankful uh, that we are living uh, in community. And fourth is that we need to integrate our faith into everyday life. And so those are themes that he develops in this book, uh, Life Together. And really that's the essence of what the one and others are all about. Top of page five, um, there are these expressions. Sometimes it's each other. Sometimes it's one another. 
Um, and then there is this list that Tim Chowley's put together, uh, and he's basically traced them in the order in which they appear in the, in the New Testament. Um, and you'll notice uh, he's got, uh, I, I counted 36 of these. There, 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 he said there are many of these. This is not intended to be an exhaustive list, but he provided this as part of his recitation of the one and others, but he divides them into categories. Unity, hospitality, devotion, and edification. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to unpack some of those four dimensions, but there's a list here. The first list, which is at the top of page five, and it continues, are the one another's. And it starts, for instance, wash one another's feet, John 13, 14. Uh, a new command I, I give to you, that you love one another. Um, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. In some cases, there's actually more than one another in a particular passage. So, for instance, Romans 12.10 has two in there. Be devoted to one another and honor one another above yourselves, etc. So there's 25 that he actually provides uh, in the italics that, that, uh, that are part of his article. But just this multiplicity of ways in which we, we serve one another, we bear with one another, uh, we are compassionate to one another, we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. By the way, when we, when we sing um, in our worship service, the scripture describes that as speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you really have two audiences, you, you understand, right? You're, you're not auditioning for the choir. Uh, you are the choir. But uh, you're, you're singing to the Lord, but we're also instructing each other. So if you want to turn and to your neighbor and, and sing toward them, that's entirely acceptable. That is 100% fine. If you want to sing toward your neighbor, um, you don't want to listen to my singing necessarily, but, but, but my heart will be there with you. I will be following along with the words. But we are literally seeking to edify and encourage and instruct one another. So it's, it's a form of worship to our sovereign God, but it's also a way of building into each other's lives. Like the scripture says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, etc. So um, it goes on. And on the top of page 7, um, in the first one another is listed there, and then there, it's, it's not specifically identified, but then he transitions to these each others. So if you're wondering uh, what's happening, and he starts over uh, walking through the New Testament in, in order in which they appear, uh, but he's done the one another's, and now he's talking about the each others. So be at peace with each other, um, that the parts should have equal concern for each other, um, not becoming conceited, provoking and envying each other. That's a, a negative one another or each other, etc. So 36 recitations there for you. What could you do with those? Well, one thing would be maybe just pick one each day and just say, Lord, uh, for instance, the very first one, not, not in order of priority, but the, the very first one, um, you should wash one another's feet. There are some congregations that literally practice that as an ordinance. We, we don't do that. Uh, we practice two ordinances. We practice baptism and the Lord's Supper. There are some denominations some that, that actually do that. But what's the point? The point is not physically getting a basin and a towel and, and washing each other's feet. The, the point is that you're serving each other with humility. That, that's what our Lord was doing in John 13. He, he took 
the role of a servant. And it was a, a very radical thing for him to do in that context, uh, where he did what normally a, a house attendant would do uh, at the Lord's Supper, and that's, or the Passover, that, that was the setting for, uh, for the Lord's Supper. And they had walked along dusty streets. That's the way they, they had sandals on. They, they, were, they were not clean they, they, as a form of comfort, as a way of cleaning. Uh, the house attendant would take a bowl and, and would wash the, the, the feet of those who were in attendance just as a, a gratuity toward them. And our Lord Jesus did that. He humbled himself uh, and, and showed care. The point is not the basin of water and the towel. The point is humility, care, comfort, reaching out, doing something for someone else to make them feel better, to, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel appreciated. That, that's the point. So you could take one of these uh, a day and just say, Lord, would you create this and foster this in my own heart? Uh, may I, um, today, would you give me an opportunity to, uh, to exercise this uh, in, the, in the context of the local church? Uh, maybe it's a phone call. Uh, maybe it's an email. Maybe it's uh, uh, you drive over and help somebody, whatever the case may be. But, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to put this into practice in the context of, uh, of Christ Fellowship Bible Church? Because that's really where it takes place. So what I did at the bottom of page 7 is I, I took the four categories that uh, Tim Challies identified as integral to these one and others. He said there were four. And I, I changed the order a bit, and I did that by design. Um, the point I'm making is that one another is multifaceted, that there are, uh, Tim Challies identified four major categories, uh, and I put them in a particular order, devotion or love, unity, hospitality, and edification. So the reason I started with devotion and love is that really this is what fuels all of the others. Uh, it is love for God. It is love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that, is, that motivates us, that incents us to do all of these other things. Without love, we will not do these one another's. Uh, we will be self-centered. We will be uh, focused upon ourselves. Uh, but to the extent that we love God and we love our neighbor, our neighbor within the context of Christ Fellowship Bible Church, uh, then these things will flow from that. Uh, it will move our focus to, um, to a, a disposition of service, of love, compassion, etc. Amy Carmichael, I don't know if you know that name, Amy Carmichael was a single woman who uh, served in India. She was motivated by Hudson Taylor, um, but she served in India uh, without furlough for 55 years, uh, and she created what later became known as the Donover Fellowship. It was for at-risk Indian children, and, and she literally just poured out her life in India uh, for these severely disadvantaged uh, Indian children. Um, just a, a wonderful servant of the Lord. Uh, but she speaks about love. Uh, she says, we're trusted to spread the spirit of love. Tenderness and judgment, and, and as I'm reading this, think about the one another's. Tenderness and judgment, the habit of thinking the best of one another, unwillingness to believe evil, grief if we are forced to do so, eagerness to believe good, joy over one recovered from any slip or fall, unselfish gladness in another's joys, sorrow in another's sorrow, readiness to do anything to help another entirely irrespective of self, all this and much more is included in that wonderful word, love.
That's why I started with love, because all of these things that, that Amy was, was writing about are outpourings of a heart that is focused on love. In the middle of the paragraph, I didn't highlight it, but she coined the word, unlove is deadly. It's the absence of love. It is a cancer. It may kill slowly, but it always kills in the end. She describes a lack of love as deadlier than any cobra. A cobra was an, a, a, you saw those in India. They were everywhere, and you always had to be careful. They were, they were certainly deadly. But at the end of this paragraph, she says, we are one body. We are parts of one another. If one member suffers loss, all suffer loss. Not one of us lives to herself. I thought that really capsulized that one disposition of heart that really moves us in a sacrificial way to care for one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to exercise patience with one another, to, to do all of these things is love. It, it, it springs from a heart of love. And that's what our Lord said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Now, how did the Lord love us? He gave himself for us. He poured out his life for us. He stood in the line of fire and God's wrath for us as our substitute. It was sacrificial in nature. And the Lord says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so the local church is to be a setting where a watching world can observe what takes place and what does not take place. And, and, and say there's something radically different about what it means to live in community in that, in that group. I'm not sure I understand what's going on there. But, but it, it, that, that would be an outsider looking in. So there's something unique about what's transpiring in those people's lives. I'm reminded of the admonition, be ready to give an answer for the, 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 when someone asks you for the hope that is in you. When, when someone looks at Christ's fellowship, my, my prayer would be that they would say, what is it that moves you? What, what is it that makes you such different people? What makes you so unique in the way that you care so unselfishly for each other, so sacrificially for each other? That's what God has designed us to do, is to not only to serve each other, but to be, as Paul described it, lights shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. And if any place should be the, the, the locus of where this all takes place, it's in a covenant relationship in the local church. Love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, does not brag, not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That fuels the one another's. This, this, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and following, is really the, the fountain from which the one another's all spring. If you consider all of those imperatives, the commands, I believe in, in, with all of my heart that you can trace every single one of them back to, to this passage. And, and that's because they, they were so much exemplified by our Savior who told us to love one another as even as he has loved us. So love, the fountain, I, I believe, from which the one another's all spring. Unity, if we, if we love God and we love our brothers and sisters, then we will relentlessly pursue anything that fosters, maintains the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and we will fight tooth and nail anything that erodes that unity, and we will avoid anything that, that creates division. 
Ephesians 4, and we've unpacked this in a previous time, uh, talks about the fact in, in, in verse 4, for instance, that the, these realities, the, the oneness that we have, the one body called in one hope of your calling, all of these, these onenesses, all of these unities uh, are, are to be the basis. We realize these are all true. And, and so what, what do we do? We, we are to walk in a manner worthy of that calling and to be diligent in verse 3 to preserve the unity. We don't make that unity. We've already dealt with that in a previous lesson, but to preserve the unity um, of the spirit and the bond of peace. And, and so um, it is this unity that Tim Challies was talking about is one of the major categories uh, of the, the one another's and the each other's. Uh, it ultimately is rooted in love because we love our neighbor, uh, because we, we love the Lord. We, we love his bride. Uh, we, we don't want to do anything that would harm his bride. And, and the local church is a micro expression of the bride of Christ. It's a localized expression of the bride of Christ. And so we never want to do anything that would be a dishonor or create a tattering uh, in, in the life of, of the one for whom Christ died. And Randy Smith made a, a comment that church unity flows from the fact that we're bound to God and to one another by the gospel. Conversely, top of page 9, um, if we love God, since we love God and since we love our brothers and sisters, since we love the bride of Christ, since we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called and to preserve the unity of the Spirit, we, we will avoid earnestly anything that is that is creates strife uh, and disputes in this case it was about the law but think about all the things uh, in our world some political subjects some cultural subjects some personal preference some orientation that you may have about a preference whatever the case may be uh, there's all sorts of ways in which we can create division and, and most of them re revolve around personal preference. Most of them revolve around some hobby horse that we have that we think everybody else ought to share because it's important to us. And so we need to jealously avoid those things, those, those foolish arguments, the divisive things, the, the, uh, anything that, that creates strife that's unprofitable, uh, that's worthless. And as elders, we are, we are uh, and we've done this, uh, there have been on rare instances times when we've literally had to escort someone, it hasn't happened here, but it's happened in previous years, someone who was, was literally factious and, and was being contentious. We, we've had to do that. And, and that's, it, it tatters, tears, destroys the unity of the church. And so anything that, that uh, works contrary to the unity is uh, to be studiously avoided. Spurgeon made uh, an interesting comment back in the 1800s. Satan hates Christian fellowship. You know that? He really does. It's his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. That's an interesting point. He sees how, how valuable it is that we, ha that we build into each other's. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. I hope that you have never been through a church split. I've, I've been through one. Uh, it, it's, I hope you never experience that. It's, it's the most painful thing I think I can remember. Um, it, it's immensely painful. It happens. Uh, but it, 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 you look at that, and I, I can't go into all the reasons that, that these things take place, but at the bottom of it, it's, um, it's spiritual warfare. It really is. 
it, it sometimes it has to do with doctrinal issues, but for the most part, it has to do with non-doctrinal issues. For the most part, it has to do with with pride and and, and all sorts of, of sinful dispositions. It happens. It's, it's very, but it's to be avoided. I go back to Titus three: avoid, avoid, avoid those things that are unprofitable, that are worthless, that that tear apart the unity. Hospitality. If we love God, since we love God, since we love one another, we love the bride of Christ, we want to foster and maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We want to avoid anything that is unprofitable. Hospitality is a place where we can build into each other. There are imperatives about showing hospitality to each other. And as I reflected on hospitality, the, the scripture that came to my mind was uh, in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's not limited to men, by the way. So that's why we have uh, apples of gold. That's why we have ladies' Bible study. That's why we women get together. But So it, 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 what's the purpose of hospitality? Is, is it a gourmet meal? No, it's not a gourmet meal. Is it, is it the nicest house on the block? Not the nicest house on the block. It's, it's about spending time, uh, and it doesn't have to be at your house. It could be at a restaurant. could be a walk in the park. could be someplace where you extend grace to someone else. But it's a place where you spend one-on-one time. And, and the purpose of hospitality is, is not to impress somebody with, with your cooking. It, it's, it, it, it can be a sidelight. But it, it's a way where we show devotion to one another. Uh, and matter of fact, in Romans 12, Paul says, and again, we go back to love. Let love be genuine without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. And then he, he adds at the very end, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality is a reflection of love. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, uh, hospitality pictures aspects of God's generous love in the gospel. I'm reminded uh, Rosaria Butterfield, you, you may or may not know that name. Uh, she uh, was a, um, a professor at Syracuse, uh, in, a lesbian, um, strongly opposed to Christianity, didn't understand Christianity. Uh, make a long story short, uh, the person that was her reference uh, to understand uh, what Christianity was about was, was a, a person that was on her reference list that she would cite in her article. She was working on a book about why the religious right hates uh, gay people. And this guy said, hey, come on over. I'd like to invite you. You can ask questions. I want to extend hospitality to you. Uh, and, and so he did uh, several times. And, and over the course of, of time, uh, all of the animosity disappeared. Uh, and, and, she, and by God's grace and through the exposure to the Word of God, she came to understand that she needed a Savior. And she was radically converted. And she actually wrote a book, Hospitality Comes with a House Key. And at least I think something like that. Um, but the point is that this, there's amazing things that can happen in one-on-one time with each other. Um, my thought, though, was that for us to really get out of hospitality, what we can uh, glean from it requires intentionality. And so Don Whitney had a list of questions that I found helpful. And these would be good questions that you could use over dinner, uh, over breakfast, uh, whatever the case may be. You, I would encourage you use these same questions after the service. I, I, so when we, when we dismiss and we go our different ways, let me encourage you, 
have these kinds of questions on your heart. Uh, how is whatever you're doing ministry going? Um, what do you enjoy most about it? What have you seen uh, the Lord work at lately? Uh, what's the Lord been teaching you? Uh, have you had any evangelistic opportunities lately? Uh, have you had any obvious answers to prayer recently? Uh, where in the Bible have you been reading lately? That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, what impact has it had on you? How can I pray for you? That's another good one. What's the growth point in your life right now? What's your passion, what, what are you passionate about right now? The, the point, this isn't an exhaustive list, but hospitality is an opportunity to engage another person or another family, another couple, as the case may be. For that to really result in, in the most benefit requires not just food. No, it doesn't have to be food, by the way, it, it, but it, it requires some um, some intentionality in, in the interaction that you have with someone else so that the conversation is profitable, so that you're not talking about worthless things, so that you're talking about things that really matter, so that you're drawing out someone's heart, so that you're in creating a bond between you, so that you're engaging someone at a level that's different than, than the kind of discourse they would have with just culture at large. Our interaction should be really different than what we have just with unsaved people at large. We should be fostering spiritual growth in each other. Which leads me to the last dimension, edification. We love God. We love uh, his church. Uh, we love each other. Um, we're maintaining the unity of the spirit. We're, we're practicing hospitality. And what's the purpose of all of that? Well, the scripture says in, in Ephesians 4, and we've dealt with this in a separate lesson, um, that God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's my favorite passage in all of the New Testament. Somebody used to ask me, so what's, what, what's all, when we're planning Christ Fellowship, what's, what's, the, what's your angle? What's your, what, what's your distinction? Why, you know, everybody's got an angle, right? You know, what's your niche? I said Ephesians 4. And they just glaze over. They had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. And I said, it's the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to, to a mature man, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Oh, oh okay, that's kind of a radical mode. No, it's, it's, it's what God designed to take place. And, and the one and others are instrumental in that, in that actually happening. And so Paul tells us in Romans 14, so pursue the things. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty strong concept. Chase after these things. It's not casual. It's intentional. Pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And so I, I just conclude with this one last dimension of edification. We've talked about, um, we talked about love, which I, I believe is the fountain from which all of this belongs. If we love each other, we're going to want to see each other grow. We're going to want to see the church do well. We're going to want to see Christ be honored. And, and if we, we, we look at, at um, the unity, we're, we're going to want to do anything that cements us together and, and, and preserves that together and avoid anything that begins to fragment these precious relationships. We're going to want to, to engage each other in, in a personal interaction, uh, showing hospitality. And we're going to want to see each other grow. We're going to want to build into each other's lives uh, so that we become more, more mature in Christ. And what I've done and at the end, I started with the, the aspect on, of um, Wayne Mack talking about why church membership. And the very first thing he mentioned was uh, so that we can practice the one another's within the context of a covenant community. And so what I did, and if you look on page 11 and 12, 
I just took the liberty of sort of bolding and italicizing at least what, what I thought were, were good examples of interpersonal building into each other. Uh, I will enter into a relationship of mutual edification, fellowship, and accountability with other members of the body, uh, participate with this church and in, 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 in the gathering, etc. You, you can look at this. This is what we have as a membership agreement. And I just, it just struck me how none of these things occur in isolation. For us to, to obey these things, for us to honor these agreements requires intentionality. It requires interpersonal uh, community. Uh, it requires a cohesiveness uh, in the, the local body. Uh, and it, it, it's an accountable relationship. We all said before God that by his grace and through his power that we will earnestly pursue these things and we will avoid anything that is contrary to these things. And if you look at these, I think you'll find embodied in the membership agreement really not a recitation per se of the one another's, but the spirit, I believe, of the one another's is certainly embodied in our membership agreement. So what is the one another's? It's, it's this covenantal relationship that we have with each other in the local body uh, where we are building into each other's lives, we're honoring Christ, uh, we're, we're actually in, enjoying the one thing that you'll never find outside of a local church, and that's, that's true Christian love in community. This is the place of all places on the planet where we should be actively pursuing and where you should, where you should be able to experience on a regular basis care, concern, prayer, support, someone to care for you, to walk alongside you, to spend time with you, whatever the case may be. And, and you may be here t t this afternoon and saying, I need something. I'm not sensing that I'm getting this. If, if that's the case, let, share that. It, it requires transparency. If there's something that, that, you, that we can do to be helpful to you, then let us know what that is because we, the, we, we want to do, do those things. We, we, we've we, we don't want to be indifferent or insensitive. So if you're feeling a lack in some way of these things, please communicate that. Uh, and, and we want to do what we can to address that so that you are, are, your needs are being met. And that's, that's why we're here, uh, is to, to serve each other and to honor Christ in that way. Father, our desire is to honor you um, to glorify Christ uh, as we uh, reflect upon, as we live out uh, these one another's, these precious imperatives, uh, these manifestations of why you have brought us into community with each other. Um, enable us, O oh God, to be attentive to the needs of each other, to be uh, able to respond to each other's needs. Uh, and, and Lord, again, if there are uh, if there are any of us here even now, uh, Lord, who are feeling uh, in some way that, that they're not getting what they need uh, out of this body uh, and there are ways that we can serve them, I, I pray, oh God, that we can be attentive to that, that we will communicate that, that we will be able to respond to that. But thank you, God, for the many uh, ways in which um, we, we have all observed um, care, concern, love, prayer. Uh, may we, oh God, by your grace, excel still more. In Jesus' name. Amen.